Mystery Theater presents... This is Christopher Lee, the host of Mystery Theatre. Sometimes we hold what appears to be a losing hand. The outcome seems inevitable and our resolve weakens. But in reality, who can say what will happen next? The possibilities are infinite. A winning lottery number, an inheritance, found money. Any number of events might signal a reversal of fortune. But what if a sudden winning streak brings unforeseeable consequences? In that case, one might have done better without it, as illustrated by our first story on the Sears Radio Theatre. Then it's Chapter 5 of City of the Dead on Adventures by Morse. Pull up the covers. The stories begin in just a moment. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler free, so first time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Mystery Theater. I'm your host, Christopher Lee. In 1979, my good friend Vincent Price was host of Mystery Night on the Sears Radio Theater, an hour-long journey into the macabre. This episode, The Thirteenth Governess, stars Howard Duff, Linda K. Henning, and Marvin Miller. Here's the first half. It's Wednesday, and we invite you to stay tuned for Sears Radio Theater. Today, you'll hear a story of mystery and suspense with Vincent Price as your host. Howard Duff stars as a detective, and Linda K. Henning is the woman who hires him. The young man is shot to death in a park where 13 governesses are sitting. Listen for the 13th governess. Sears Radio Theater will begin after this message from your local station. 
Sears, where America shops, invites you to apply for the Sears credit card. It gives you credit in over 3,600 Sears stores coast to coast. Whether you live or travel in any of the 50 states, there's a Sears store where you can shop for what you need for your family, home, or car. You can apply for the Sears credit card at any Sears store or by calling this toll-free number now. Call 800-526-0444. That's 800-526-0444. New Jersey residents call 800-652-2777. I can't believe they can do it for $19.99. Installed? The Illumini Sears muzzler is only $19.99 installed. And listen to the muzzler promise. Sears promises that the muzzler will last as long as you own your American-made car. Or return it for refund or replacement free. And if Sears installed it, they'll install the new one free. Well, you can't beat that. I think it's fantastic. It's a great promise. The muzzler, just $19.99 installed. Clamps if needed, 99 cents each extra. Sizes to fit most American-made cars. Prices may vary in Alaska and Hawaii at most Sears Tire and Auto Centers. Nearly everyone at our party mentioned our new Sears Dream Supreme carpeting. Didn't anyone say anything about my rutabaga dip? Marvin said Dream Supreme looks so thick and luxurious. He loved its velvety soft plush pile. What about my rutabaga dip? Eloise adored the color. Of my rutabaga dip? I told her that avocado lime is just one of Dream Supreme's 20 lustrous colors, and when Doris heard the Dream Supreme is so reasonably priced and treated with Scotchgard brand fabric protector... Okay, what about my tuna fish upside down cake? Dream Supreme carpeting in most larger Sears retail stores. Are we finally set for Grandma's? I think so. We've got the new Sears Travel Guard baby seat in the car. Right, and the extra sleep and play baby suits. Oh, Grandma will love those. They're so cute and yet practical. The extra baby blankets and bottles are in the vinyl diaper bag. Oh, Sears certainly did make shopping for the baby easy. Sure did. Well, I think we've got everything. Um, honey, I think you've forgotten something. Hmm? <gasps> The baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is Vincent Price. Except for the expensive briefcase he's carrying, the young man stepping off the bus looks like a college student. Dressed in casual clothes, he walks deliberately along a street lined with fully restored buildings. Ahead of him, a small child is trying to retrieve a ball which is stuck between the posts of a wrought iron fence. The young man sets down his briefcase and frees the ball. But when he turns around, the briefcase is gone. It's disappeared. No one else is on the street, only the young man and the boy. And oh yes, there, turning the corner, a figure dressed in white, a nurse or a governess, since she's pushing a baby carriage. The young man hurries after her, but when he reaches the corner, the governess is gone. He crosses the street to a small green park, and there sit 13 governesses, alike in their white uniforms, and before each of them is a baby carriage. The young man wheels. There on the roof of the building which faces the park, a silhouetted figure aims a rifle. The young man, killed instantly, falls without making a sound. The governesses scatter, a mad rush of baby carriages clearing the park paths. The briefcase is gone. And that's only the beginning of our story.
Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Brought to you five nights a week by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops. Your hosts, Lorne Green. I'll bring you stories of the Old West and the New. Andy Griffith with a look at the funny side of life. Vincent Price with tales of mystery and suspense. Cicely Tyson with stories about love, hate, and related things. Richard Widmark. I'll bring you stories of pure adventure. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis production of The Sears Radio Theater. Our story, The Thirteenth Governess, by Elliot Lewis. Our star, Howard Duff. When I need advice, I go to my mom. Why not? It's free. Now that I'm married and moving into a new house, I want all the advice I can get. So when mom says shop Sears, I listen. You should. Sears is a great help on those big items you'll need for your new home. Major appliances like washers, dryers, and refrigerators. They'll deliver, install, and service. I always depend on Sears. You should, too. Hey, look, in here, inside this stylish man's dress shirt. I'm a Sears Value dress shirt label just popping with pride because Sears Value dress shirts are sure to be popular for a number of reasons. They have fashion spread collars, come in classic patterns and solids in short and long sleeves. You'll appreciate the permapressed polyester or polyester cotton blends for easy care. Plus, at low value prices, what a buy! Just look for me, the Value Dress Shirt label, at Sears Men's Store, where style, sense, and satisfaction combine to label me right for you. I love to eat. But it takes so long to cook. That's why we both love our new Kenmore microwave oven from Sears. I can cook a five-pound roast medium rare in just 30 minutes, or three strips of bacon in three and a half minutes on a paper plate. Bake two potatoes in eight minutes and cook vegetables faster than boiling them in water. That means less time in the kitchen. And more with you. Fast, clean, cool cooking with Sears Kenmore microwave ovens, all with automatic defrost. Choose the right model for your kitchen from the many styles available at most Sears retail stores. Your baby's room. Furnish it with the quaintness and charm of Sears Jenny Lynn's crib, dresser, and chest. Your baby will be secure in our old-fashioned crib built with high sides and a safety drop-side latch. And each handsome maple color piece comes in a non-toxic finish. Sears Jenny Lynn dresser and chest is furniture that will adapt gracefully as baby grows older, too. So visit us soon, because Sears has baby buys bundled up. Available at most Sears retail stores. A shopping center, by definition, is a place where you shop for groceries, sundries, medicines, toys, hobbies, and so on and so on. This particular shopping center has an added service. Note the discreet sign. Harry Holiday, Private Investigations, Confidential Matters. What sort of a man performs those services in a shopping center? Did you ever want something so bad you could taste it? That's how bad I always wanted to be a private investigator. I don't remember when the idea first came to me. I only know that it was something I headed for. I worked as a cop, as a private guard, 
I took classes. I spent time working for one of those large outfits. I took tests. And son of a gun, I passed and I got a license. And here's what really has me shaking my head in wondrous delight. My first case was a murder. How's that for wish fulfillment? She was young, early 20s, stunning, gorgeous. You know, all those adjectives, it means she was a knockout. Mr. Holliday? She wasn't dressed in black. She wasn't sobbing or distraught. None of those things. The dark glasses were the only clue that she was a widow. My name is Valerie Robeson. My husband was Matthew. He was... Yeah, I, uh, I read about it in the paper. Killed with a rifle fired by a person or persons unknown. I'm sorry. The police said the shot probably came from the top of a building that adjoins the park my husband was in. It's their feeling some neighborhood kid was fooling around taking pot shots and accidentally hit Matt. I came to you because their explanation is, is so improbable. Uh, do you live near the park? No. Does your husband work in that neighborhood? No. I don't know why he was there. He didn't... Will you do it for me? Find out who killed Matt? I... I don't have a great deal of money. You pay me by the day, plus my expenses. If we get lucky, it shouldn't cost you over a thousand. She nodded her agreement and opened her purse. She fumbled around in it before she remembered she was wearing dark glasses. She slid them off. Her eyes were red-rimmed, the expression and lost. She was a young widow, filled with anguish and despair death of her young husband. In the building from which the shot had been fired, a cold marble lobby separated door and elevators. Midway was a desk where renters picked up phone messages and mail, and where intruders such as me had to stop and be identified by an efficient-looking lady. I told her I was interested in renting an apartment, and she directed me to the rental agent, apartment 101, first door to your right after you turn left of the elevators. I rang, and the door was opened by a short, fiercely mustached man with bright blue eyes lined from peering into the sun. Sir? I'm uh, interested in renting an apartment in this area. Oh, come in, sir, come in. Major Emery Griffith, sir, uh, retired from Her Majesty's service. Major? Uh, Mrs. Griffiths is the house-renting agent, but she's not immediately at home. Now, how can I be of service, sir? Is there an apartment available on the top floor, uh, overlooking the park? Oh! <laughs> Jolly good time for the question, sir. Jolly good. The wards are planning a year-long cruise, you see? Well, out of the country, 12 full months, and perhaps interested in subletting for that period, you know. Would that interest you? Why, uh, yes, it might. My, my wife has this uh, wish to settle in for a while, all that moving about the last two years, you know. He ate it up, nodding crisply at the invented travels my mythical wife and I had been taking. Wards were out, he told me, and led me to the elevator, located directly across the lobby from the eagle-eyed woman at the front desk who would have seen anyone coming or going. Is there a freight elevator for our furniture? Oh, yes, yes. It, it runs from the basement to the top floor, at the opposite end of the building. Of course. Ah, here we are. Now, if you all follow me. Well, you are very fortunate. The wards only made their decision a day or two ago. Now, now we'll see if I brought the proper key, what? <laughs> After you, sir. You'll see it's two bedrooms, to the left and right, before you reach the living room, which is directly ahead. And the kitchen is to your right, and there are two full baths. Lovely place, as you can see. Uh, lovely, lovely. Our tenants often take the sun down there in the park, you know, where those governesses are sitting. 
or we allow them to use the roof just above you, sir, which can be reached by stairs at either end of the building. Yeah, very nice, sir. Very, 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 very nice. I'd, I'd, I'd like to bring my wife, if you don't mind. I'd, uh, I'd need her opinion. You understand that? Oh, of course, of course, sir. The guy I went to school with, Ben Wheeler, works in the morgue of the morning newspaper, and he let me find a corner where I could go through the newspaper's file stories of Matt Robeson's murder. You're suggesting Robeson's death wasn't an accident, sir? Well, his uh, widow doesn't think so. This her, Harry? Hmm? The pretty lady in black? Yeah, that's huh? her. Uh, behind her, her parents. Beside her, a family friend, Zachary West. Uh. How about that mustache? <laughs> He's a hairy one, isn't he? Yeah. Hey, hey, look here. Uh, Tragic family says her brother was killed in a boating accident two years ago. Out sailing, storm came up, boat sank. Mm -hmm. Found a cushion the next day, boat and brother gone. Uh, Here's the picture you ran on him. Yeah. And it looks like his sister. Mm -hmm. hey, but can I get copies of these? A lousy quality, but sure, sure. family friend Zachary West's address in the phone book and drove out there. A big sign out front read, Century One Apartments, first in a series of posh pads for swinging singles. I parked across the street just as a dashing red sports car shifted down, mufflers burping, and ducked into the underground garage. The driver was the man in the newspaper picture, Zachary West, of all the hair. I got out and managed to bump into him on one of the paths. Instead of being straightforward, I put on my puzzled, ingenuous face. You find out more things that way. You look lost. Help you? <laughs> yes, I, uh, I, I thought maybe I'd, I'd uh, like to rent an apartment. You picked the best spot. I'll steer you to the manager's office. Oh, that, that's very, very nice of you. Appreciate it. Don't sweat. Uh, uh, what happens if you, if you move in and, and, and then decide to get married? Why get married when it's all lying around waiting for you? <laughs> Here we are. Lorenzo, I bring you a customer. Welcome, welcome. Lorenzo is manager, master of ceremonies, and what one might call confessor arranger for our community. I'm glad to see you. Zach, tonight's 15B's birthday party. Count on me. Uh, I'm an 86A. Drop in for a drink anytime. And don't hesitate to bring one or two guests, even three. I'll show you some of the apartments. You prefer blonde neighbors, uh, brunettes? Uh -huh. Speckled if they come that way. <laughs> he showed me a series of flashy apartments, all furnished for a race of people who only got out of bed to have a drink or smoke a joint. I told him I'd let him know and left through the garage, which gave me the chance to write down the license number on Zachary West's red sports car. I'd only driven a couple of blocks when I saw that someone was following me. A young woman, long black hair blowing, driving a beat-up station wagon. When I got to the shopping center, I drove around to the back where my office is and parked at the H. Holiday stencil. She circled, pulled into an empty space, and slid out, peering around like a baby bird looking for his mother. She tried to see where I'd gone. She spotted my car and came toward me. As she arrived, I stepped out. Oh. Looking for something? What? Uh, no, why? Because you were following me. Why? Why? That's a laugh. Why? Because I saw you before writing down Zachary's license number. What sort of behavior is that? I didn't take down his license plate, silly. I took the number of the car next to him. I'm an insurance adjuster. Not that it's any of your business. Any further questions? Oh. Oh, well, you, well, you see, I got this impression you were a cop, and I couldn't understand Me? that Zachary... 
what he could have done to bring out the fuzz. So that's why I... Excuse me. Quite all right. Perfectly logical error. She seemed to be just a nice young lady looking out for a friend. Or uh, so I believed then. At all events, she left me with an enormous curiosity about Zachary West. So next morning, I waited outside his apartment. Followed him into the city, parked where he parked, and sat beside him at the counter of the coffee shop where he ate breakfast. I recommend the waffles. Uh, uh, waffles, miss. And uh, coffee now, please. If you had questions, why didn't you ask me? Valerie hire you? Yeah. Well, what do you want to know? Well, I'm trying to find out if anyone wanted to kill Matt. I saw the newspaper picture of you at the funeral. Uh, were you uh, Matt's friend or Valerie's? Both. I introduced them, as a matter of fact. And Valerie works for me. I'm a clothes designer, men's and women's wear. Oh. Any idea why Matt was killed? Well, the police called it an accident, according to the newspapers. Valerie doesn't think so. Well, Valerie's a new widow. It's very difficult for her to accept what's happened. Did you know her brother, the one who uh, died in the boating accident? Valerie? Well, yes, he's how I met Valerie. What's that got to do with... Oh, don't let your waffle get cold. Here's my business card. Call any time I can be of help. Yeah, yeah, right. Valerie Robeson lived in the middle of an old housing tract in a one-bedroom house badly in need of paint. She introduced me to her mother, Dora Filbert, who was enshrouded in what my grandmother called a wrapper. I don't know what Matt was doing in the park. He left here about 7.30. He had a 9 o'clock class at the university. Did you ever get there? No. Now, while I was uh, reading the background on this matter, I ran into the information about your brother. I'm very well, sorry. It was a terrible loss. Were you uh, close to your brother? No one was close to Larry. He was a bachelor, what you'd call a swinger. Girl in every port sort of man. He, he didn't even have a job. His father kept after him. But Larry always had an excuse for not working. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Uh, will you excuse me? Well, sure. Uh, if it's all right, I'd like to talk to your mother for a minute, too. Of course. Uh, I'll be late, Mother. Zachary has a show tonight, and I said I'd work it. All right, One of the dear. girls is sick. All Bye. Right. Bye-bye. I'd, uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about your son, Larry. Uh, would you mind? Uh, no. But what does that have to do with Matt's death? Mm, I don't know. Probably nothing. Do you agree that Larry's death was an accident? I'm sure that in your profession you hear all sorts of things about people. Well, I don't surprise easily, if that's what you mean. What I'm going to say is in confidence. Of course. I think Larry took his own life. Mm. Larry and another young man, Zachary West, they were very close. Too close, if you understand my meaning. Yeah, I think I do. His father spoke to him about it. His father told Larry he was less than a man, and he didn't want to have anything to do with him. Mm. Well, Larry went up to the lake the very next morning, and... That's why I think he took his own life. And certainly he's, he's better off, in my opinion. Did your son-in-law Matthew know Larry? Oh, no. Valerie got to know Matt after Larry was gone. Oh, I see. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Mrs. Fulbright. Oh, uh, one other thing. 
Valerie said Matt was taking some classes at the university. In what, do you know? Oh, photography, of course. He was learning to be a photographer. Matt's photography instructor had been Norman Fields, a full-bearded, shaved-headed man. I met him in the mall outside the Fine Arts Building. I sat in the sun while he hunkered beneath a tree, rubbing the top of his head. Uh, what did you want to know about Matthew Robeson? And why would anyone want to kill the dreadful little twerp? <laughs> his widow asked me the same question. Uh, tell me about him. Well, now, let's see. I suppose you want to know if he was a good student, uh, innovative, questioning, and so forth. Yeah, things like that. No. Although he spent an inordinate amount of time here. Matthew Robeson was a man who didn't even own a decent camera. And yet he was in my class. Now, one must ask oneself, why? Why? Because Matt's own personal interests were what motivated and guided him. His time here was spent in the dark room. He cleaned it up, set out the chemicals, stacked, sorted the photographic papers, cleaned the enlargers. Any notion why? Oh, sure. He needed a place to develop his own work. Things he didn't want anyone else to see. Pictures? Of course. Did he keep the negatives and prints here? Oh, you mean no one has mentioned Matthew Robeson's Adashake case? Why, that was the most obvious and apparent thing about him. He was a scruffy little man, late 20s, skinny, wild clothes, always walked in a slouch hurriedly. He was never without this Adashake case, like a small suitcase, very expensive, never out of his grasp. Well, I would assume that that's where he kept his goodies. Why goodies? Well, Matt Robeson was a man to do anything for a buck, and I mean that, literally. Whatever he was peddling was in that attaché case. Now, it's just a shame you didn't know him. You missed out on a real oddball. I drove from there to Zachary West's showroom to look for Valerie. I entered a salon where a showing of Zachary West's full selection of clothes for the career woman. Among the natty outfits on display were wardrobes for lady mail carriers, surgeons, bus drivers, and lawyers. As I entered the room, the young woman with the station wagon was walking on stage to join the others. And would you believe it, she was dressed as a governess. That's the first half of the 13th governess on the Sears Radio Theater. I'll have more after these words. Do you know how much you have in common with some of your favorite celebrities, leaders, newsmakers? I'm Evelyn, the host of Reppin, where you'll meet notable people you think you know. You'll find out who they really are and what they represent. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts. This is Christopher Lee welcoming you back to Mystery Theater. Now... Let's return to the 13th governess on the Sears Radio Theater. sitting on a folding wooden chair watching a fashion show. 
But being the gung-ho type fellow he was, he sat there like a little gentleman and took it all in. When the show was over, he bought his client a drink in one of those dark English tavern replicas where patrons hid in shadowy booths tucked into dark corners. His attaché case? Mm-hmm. He wasn't carrying it when he was shot. Any idea where it might be? No, he never put it down. He lugged it around all the time. I can't imagine where it is. When you asked me to help you, did you suspect something? Suspect? Well, then he might have been seeing someone else. And uh, that's what he was doing in the park that morning, meeting somebody? Oh, no, I never thought Matt would cheat. He wasn't that sort of man. Matt's only weakness was his greed. Oh, he was a sweet, dear man when we got married. Then, well, somehow, I must have given him the impression of... Well, led him to believe that, well, that I was dissatisfied with our life, that I expected more from him. A and I didn't, really. It's just that I kept hoping he'd find himself, stop drifting, that terrible, restless drifting. I don't know why, because I don't find any connection, but I can't help remembering that in the pictures I saw of your brother's funeral, there was no casket. Uh, was he cremated? No, because there wasn't a body. They never recovered it? They told us that often happens in deep lakes. The body is trapped in the boat. We held the services anyway, of course. Oh, yes, of course. The next morning, I called an old Army buddy who worked for the Department of Motor Vehicles and gave him the license plate number of the battered station wagon and asked for the owner's name and address. And then I got a phone call from the answering service, a Major Griffey's who wanted to speak to me. Oh, that apartment you liked is available. The Major told me. The wards had found a freighter leaving with the tide tomorrow night. Yes, uh, the place needs a bit of cleaning, you know. Uh, some soap and water, and she'll pass inspection. Uh, I'll hang on to it until your wife comes by, what? I thanked him, had some breakfast, and went over there. The Major and his wife were out. The lady sitting guard over the front desk told me. But Mrs. Ward was expecting me. Just go right on up. I did. Mr. Holliday about the apartment. That's right. I, isn't your wife? Uh, she'll uh, be along later. I left word at the desk to send her up. Oh, please come in. Thank you. You'll forgive the mess, but suddenly we're on our way, and it's really so exciting. All the way around the world, can you imagine? And on a freighter. She babbled on, absolutely delighted with the new adventure she was about to have. She was a pretty, bright-eyed little woman in her mid-30s, and her face was flushed from her exertions. She was putting things into several large packing cases in the center of the room, which would be stored until their return. And she'd hung clothes that weren't to be taken in a large wardrobe. Half hidden behind a few dresses was a governess's white outfit. She saw me staring at it. I won't be needing that anymore, thank goodness. She continued her work, chattering on about their sudden departure, how lucky they'd been to find a freighter with space for them. And my poor husband out gathering passports and letters of credit and all the things one needs. And speaking of good fortune, tomorrow is our first wedding anniversary, and we'll be sailing the high seas in celebration. What's that? Oh, well, I'd have told you about that anyway. Some of the tenants sun themselves on the roof, and when they step out of the stairwell, it makes that sound. Oh, I see. It happens very infrequently. Oh, look, there's Teddy. <laughs> he sees me. It all happened very quickly. Her husband, Teddy, was walking across the park toward us, he looked up and started to wave, and then he must have seen something because he opened his mouth to shout, and then the bullet hit him and he slumped onto the pavement. The governesses in the park scattering like dry leaves in the wind. I 
was out of the apartment almost as soon as I heard the sharp snap of the rifle fired from the roof above me. I heard the freight elevator groaning down to the basement and raced after it. But no one was there, and the alley was empty. By the time I got around to the park, Mrs. Ward was kneeling on the path beside her husband. She didn't cry. She almost looked as though she'd expected. It had to happen. Well, why do you say that? You can't live as he did without suffering the consequences. I kept making believe that everything was all right, that the money he brought home was legitimately earned, that that silly governess costume, the exchange of envelopes in a baby carriage, all of us was a prank, not something real, something that would end in this. She didn't say anything more to me. She answered questions put to her by the first policeman to arrive, and then spoke to the homicide men. They questioned me, I told them what I had observed, and nothing more, then ducked out of there. Soon after I got back in the office, the call I'd been afraid I'd get came in. The police just left. We, we can't believe it. It's, it's been two years, and he never... I'd uh, like to come by later in the day. Uh, my father's coming down to be with us. Who did it? Who shot Larry? Or, uh, what was he calling himself? Uh, Teddy Ward? I don't think they know who shot him. Had it something to do with Matt's death? It happened the same, the same way in the same place. That's what I'm trying to find out. The minute I hung up, I got a call from my buddy at the Department of Motor Vehicles. The owner of the station wagon was Roxanne Lucetti, and he gave me her address, a place called the Aloha Arms. Her apartment faced the court, which featured a postage stamp-sized swimming pool, being cleaned by a tan young man with long blonde hair and an earring. Yeah? What? Well, look who's here. What do you want? Well, I'd uh, like to ask you a couple of questions. Come in, although I don't recall we have any unfinished business to discuss. Hey, nice little apartment. Your mother decorated? What's that supposed to mean? Well, nothing really, but everything's sort of square in here, and you seem to me to be more of an individualist. What's the matter with you? You come in here without a how do you do or how are you feeling today, then you start to make critical statements about me and my family. Not critical at all. No criticism implied or intended. What sort of a person are you making fun of me? Hey, 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 come on, come on, come on. Take it easy with that bag. Hey, hey, oh, hey, no! Hey, what do you got in here? Concrete? Come on now. now no, fun's fun. Now, now, give me that. That's personal. Hey. Don't open it. What have we got here? Well, bless my heart. Just what every lady must carry in her bag. A rifle scope. Give me that. Is it yours? Hmm? Is uh, uh, this your scope? I didn't realize you were a marksman. Uh, uh, pardon, a markswoman. It's not mine. Why is it in your bag? This, this friend asked me to sell it for him. What friend? I don't remember his name. Now go away. You know, you're really a terrible liar. Your whole character changes. I, I like you better when you're yelling and screaming. You just listen. I was nice enough to allow you to come into my apartment. And then all you do is cast aspersion after aspersions at me and my friends. And it's none of your bleep business. So why don't you just go away and leave me alone? What kind of a jerk are you? Okay, okay, gotcha. I stopped for a minute outside the door. I couldn't be sure, but I thought I heard her crying. Uh, crying her heart out, as the fellow says. 
Mears Radio Theater will return after this message from your local station. Jim Foster is president of Venture Trading Company. He buys and sells oil. It's a fast-moving business. He needs a bank that can keep pace. The primary thing that I like about Manufacturer's Bank is that they do not go according to the book. They've taken the time to get to know me as a businessman, to know my reputation, and more importantly, they are able to examine the intangible as well as the tangible ingredients that go into making a deal. They're willing to make the judgmental decisions on the um, branch level. Manufacturers, not just another bank. Offices in downtown Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, Hollywood, San Fernando Valley, and Newport Beach. Manufacturers, member FDIC. The bank that goes all out to help its customers. The thing that separates Manufacturers Bank is the fact that they have not gone according to the book. And I find that delightful because it allows me to um, function in a much more efficient manner. A neighborhood's character is its memories, old and new. And each neighborhood has its own special character. A character you can see, a character you can feel. And the people who know the neighborhoods of Simi Valley are the salespeople at La Casa Realty Register. Two national magazines recently described the city of Simi Valley as one of the six best places in the world to live. Here, the people at La Casa Realty Register can show you neighborhoods with trails instead of sidewalks, backyard corrals, where in winter, you can look out on snow-capped mountains while flowers grow at your feet. The days are warm, the nights are cool. Simi Valley offers country living, only 30 minutes from beaches, 40 minutes from downtown Los Angeles. In Simi Valley, it's La Casa Realty Register. We know your city, we know your neighborhood, we know your street. Vincent Price again, and here's the concluding act of The Thirteenth Governess. I think you can sense death around a place. The robes and house seem to be engulfed in it. The house itself appeared to be in mourning, although it probably was only the gray, sullen day. Valerie let me in. Her mother and father were sitting in the living room, coffee cups balanced in their hands, as though they'd forgotten they were holding them. Mr. Filbert was a tall, slender man with thinning hair and steel-framed eyeglasses who looked as though he might once have been head clerk in a hardware store. After I'd been introduced, they picked up an angry conversation where I'd interrupted them. I mourned him once, Dora. Once is all I got in me. So far as I'm concerned, he died two years ago. You killed him two years no, ago? No, I didn't kill him. I didn't. You've been accusing me for two years that I killed my son. Oh, how long will you two do this to each other? Now stop it. She's been after me for two years, Val, how I killed her son. Now she finds I didn't, she don't know what to say to hurt me. Uh, uh Mr. Filbert? Yes? I, uh, wonder if we could talk, just you and me. Mother and I'll go into the kitchen. Come on, Mother. Uh, Mr. Filbert, um, why does your wife believe you're responsible for your son's death? The death that never happened, you mean? Because she claims I called him a pervert, and that drove him to take his life. Did you? When a young man don't work and accepts money from men, to my way of thinking, that's perverted. That's what I told my son Larry. His mother misinterpreted what I meant. What did you mean? Larry wasn't never without that camera of his is what I meant. Yet he didn't want to show me or his family what sort of pictures he was taking. 
I think them pictures was what he got money for, and I think his camera's what finally got him killed for real. Blackmail? Is that what you're trying to say? That's my opinion. The question yelling for an answer was who Larry Filford had been blackmailing as himself and as Teddy Ward. I drove over to the apartment where Mrs. Ward had her personal things hastily packed. I can't stay. I look down there into that pretty little park and it terrifies me. Uh, Ms. Ward, were you and your husband here when the first murder was committed? Oh, I think that's why Teddy was shot. Oh? He saw something that morning, something that surprised him. Yes? He got his camera, the one with the telephoto lens, and he started to take some pictures. Mm -hmm. We both heard the noise, the thumping sound when someone steps onto the roof, and then this funny popping. Shots? Yes. And the young man in the park fell. The governesses all ran, of course. Teddy dashed out the door with his camera. He came back before the police arrived, and he was laughing. Can you imagine that? We're going to take a trip around the world, he told me. First cabin around the globe, because my ship just came in. He uh, developed his own films, of course. Uh, here? Yes, in here. She led me to a bathroom her husband had used as a dark room, crowded with even larger tanks, chemicals, and papers. She searched through a drawer until she found a picture taken with the telephoto of young Matt Robeson in the park just before he was shot. And then she handed me another envelope with another picture in it. This of a man holding a rifle. A picture taken in the alley behind the building near the freight elevator exit. The man was no one I'd ever seen before. Bald as Kojak, wearing thick eyeglasses with heavy black frames and clean-shaven. That's the picture Teddy took after the shooting. You know the man? No, but... Uh... You, you've seen him before, is that it? Yes. Where? In another picture? Teddy said once, this is your bank account. With this in your hand, you'll never be broke. It's too late to hide it, isn't it? Much too late. She unlocked a drawer at the bottom of one of the cabinets and lifted out a manila envelope. I opened it. Pictures of the same man. In the first, he was drilling a hole in the caulking on the bottom of a small beach sailboat. In the second, a night shot, he looked with surprise and fright into the camera flash. It was winter. Some snow could be seen in the street in what seemed to be a suburban neighborhood. The man stood beside an automobile. A small object lay on the ground beside the car's right front wheel. I asked Mrs. Ward if I could take the pictures. Of course. It doesn't matter anymore. Well, why did your husband photograph the young man in the park? He was surprised to see him there. Oh, I, I, I don't think I understand. Well, the only other times he'd been there was when I wore my governess outfit and traded envelopes with him. It was strange because I wasn't there. And the young man wasn't carrying his attitude case. Did your husband say anything? Yes. And I thought it was odd. Do a friend a favor, he said, and look at the greedy little Dickens. More from the Sears Radio Theater after this. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes, plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive 
receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now, the conclusion to the 13th Governess on the Sears Radio Theater. sense out of it was to begin with the photograph of the bald-headed man standing in the snowy street beside his car. At the university, Norman Fields opened one of the dark rooms for me and made a new negative of the old picture Teddy Ward had shot. From this, Fields made a series of blow-ups showing sections of the picture. The bald man, in a state of shock, was standing alongside his car, and beside the front wheel was a child's shoe. By lightening the printing tone, changing the contrast, what's called dodging, you were able to see under the car. And there was a crumpled bicycle and the hideously mangled body of a child. He was the only one involved in the mess who'd known all the principals through everything that had happened, and I wanted to ask him who the man was. Buy you a drink? Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, vodka on the rocks. Fine. What brings you here? I'm uh, trying to locate somebody. Someone I know? Well, I think maybe you do. Here's your drink. Thank you. I'll leave the door open and we can talk while I get cleaned up. Uh, man or woman? Man. Any idea where I'd know him from? He had a business arrangement with Larry Filbert. Say, did you read about that? Can you imagine a guy changing his name, living a whole other life? This man I'm looking for uh, knew Larry Filbert, and I think also knew him as uh, Teddy Ward. No kidding. Excuse me. Sure. He uh, shot Matt Robeson and Larry Filbert, uh, Teddy Ward, whatever you call him, with a rifle. What do you want me to do? I don't follow you. I uh, know what this man looks like. I'll show you his picture, and maybe you can identify him. I'm glad to help, of course, but... Up to now, you haven't given me too many clues on the guy. Bald with dark framed glasses, that isn't much to go on. Clean shaven too, you said, huh? You know how it is when something strikes you? I hadn't said anything about how my phantom murderer looked, and out came the description to a T from Zachary West. I took the rifleman's picture from my pocket and a pencil, and I put hair on the bald head, erased the thick-rimmed glasses from over the eyes, and added a mustache. How's your drink? Uh, fine. Now, let me ask you something. Shoot! How did you feel when you found out your new blackmailer, uh, Teddy Ward, was really Larry Filbert, the man you thought you'd killed in that boat accident? Hey, slow down. You're throwing a lot of names at me like I'm supposed to know them. Well, no, that's not true. You know them. Uh, Larry blackmailed you after the hit-and-run accident with the child, so you tried to get rid of him by sinking his boat. So now here you are in town, thinking you're out of it, and Teddy Ward calls you, and the whole thing starts again. Only this time, there's more. There are pictures of you sinking the boat. 
I keep trying to imagine what you looked like when you found out you were being blackmailed by a dead man. I mean, wow, I, I would have had a fit. What did you do? Uh, follow Mrs. Ward to her apartment after she traded envelopes with Matt? Got a picture of me? He was standing in the doorway, bald head, no mustache, no glasses. And just to make the picture complete, he was casually aiming the rifle in my general direction. Just enough so I wouldn't misunderstand him. Smart young fellow like you is bound to get into trouble. No, not so smart. Until a couple of minutes ago, I really thought there was another man. It's... Really remarkable what a hairpiece and a phony mustache and contact lenses can do to change a person. Remarkable. You know what troubles me, though? How'd poor Matt Robeson get involved in all this? His brother-in-law wanted to help him out, pass him a little money. I gave money to Roxanne, she gave it to Matt, he gave it to that governess until he got greedy and decided to go it on his own. Motivation. Money runs the ship, my lad. Money's what makes the world go round. Although I can't believe you're getting enough for what's about to happen to you. Move, please. We're getting out of here. Why'd you uh, run away from the accident? If you'd stayed, maybe that little girl could have been saved. No way. Come along now. Happy birthday! Hey, hey, more, Zach. Zach? Hey, wait. Hey, where, where's Zach? Uh, we were uh, just going out to pick him up. Well, his car's here. Oh, his, uh, his friend uh, Gilbert here uh, uh, drove it over. Uh, uh, Gil, uh, let me show him the rifle. Hey, look at this. Isn't it a beaut? Bought it for Zach for his birthday. Uh, come on, Gil. Uh, we better get going. Hey, you guys will bring Zach to his party, won't you? I mean, we got all his booze and food and, you know, the trappings, little foxes, all sizes. We'll, we'll bring Zach back. Don't worry about it, but go ahead. Get the party started. Okay. <laughs> Rifle in hand, I eased Zachary West out of there. He made a couple of moves, like he wanted to grab the gun or get away. But by the time we got to my car, he was a limp sack. All the fire was gone. He ducked a responsibility long ago. He'd run away, then killed two men who tried to bleed him. And finally, there wasn't any place to hide. No place at all. He sat in the front seat of the car blinking his eyes behind the thick glasses, letting what had happened to him sink in. And like I said, that's how I handled my first murder case. Generations ago, families dined by the warmth of the open hearth. Today, Sears rekindles this spirit with its open hearth dining room furniture. Faithfully rendered early American designs and careful workmanship give it an heirloom quality. The satin glow and warm highlighting of Sears open hearth take 26 steps to achieve. There's no shorter method to bring out the beauty of the wood. And like all good furniture, open hearth is made to last for a long time with sturdy tongue and groove and mortise and tenon construction. Choose from 16 different pieces of open hearth at most Sears retail stores. Look, in here, inside this stylish man's dress shirt. 
I'm a Sears Value Dress Shirt label just popping with pride. Because Sears Value Dress Shirts are sure to be popular for a number of reasons. They have fashion spread collars, come in classic patterns and solids in short and long sleeves. You'll appreciate the permapressed polyester or polyester cotton blends for easy care, plus at low value prices, what a buy! Just look for me, the Value Dress Shirt label, at Sears Men's Store, where style, sense, and satisfaction combine to label me right for you. I sell draperies at Sears. Yesterday, a lady came in and said that she'd been in and out of about every store in town looking for draperies and at this point didn't know what she wanted anymore. I asked questions about her tastes and decor and then made suggestions. She was thrilled. She found what she wanted and learned a little, too. It made me feel good to know that I helped her out. Sears people are friendly people who help you find what you want. to Sears Radio Theater, brought to you five nights a week by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops. The 13th Governess was written, produced, and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Vincent Price. Our star was Howard Duff. Also heard were Linda K. Henning, Deborah Wally, Lurene Tuttle, Marvin Miller, Ben Wright, Sidney Miller, Peggy Weber. The music for Sears Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. Art Gilmore speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Sears Radio Theater is a presentation of CBR. you need all year round with Tiempo, Goodyear's amazing steel belted radio that grips in any kind of weather. Tiempo gives you 10,000 hard-working tread edges for bite, yet it rides silky smooth. And best of all, Tiempo prices start as low as $38 in the metric size 155-80R13 plus $1.59 federal excise tax and your old tire. Shop Goodyear for Tiempo Tires. See your nearby Goodyear dealer tomorrow. At Goodyear, you know you'll always get a good deal. Confidence, 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 Goodyear. The confidence guys to know are Shoemaker's Tire in Northridge, Los Amigos Tire in Otto in Montebello, and Solo Tire in Yorba Linda. That's the 13th Governess, hosted by Vincent Price and starring Howard Duff on the Sears Radio Theatre from February the 14th, 1979. In a moment, Adventures by Morse. Welcome back to Mystery Theatre. I'm your host, Christopher Lee. Time now for Chapter 5 of City of the Dead on Adventures by Morse. This story is called 
The Skeleton Walks In. Adventures by Morse. Carlton E. Morse presents... The City of the Dead, featuring Captain Friday. If you like high adventure, come with me. If you like the stealth of intrigue, come with me. If you like blood and thunder... Come with me. Eight o'clock on the third night in the City of the Dead. In the afternoon of the second day in the old abandoned cemetery, Captain Friday had locked Jimmy Parker and Phyllis Carroll together and had taken his father, the mayor, and old Dr. Tuner to Lammy Fink's cabin on the edge of the cemetery. They had found three bodies in the cellar. One was the strangled body found in old Ernie Morton's grave. The second was the body of the man whom the claw-footed phantom had killed at the back of the mayor's cottage. The third was Lammy Fink. According to Captain Friday, he'd been scared to death. That's right. And while we were in the cellar examining the bodies, the cabin mysteriously burst into flames and we barely escaped with our lives. The bodies were completely consumed. After this experience, the old mayor, my father, complained of being tired and returned to his cottage inside the gates of the City of the Dead. Dr. Tuner and I went down to the deserted ruins of a church to look for the phantom church bell. In the musty rectory where the bell ringer had hanged himself ten years before, we found old Clawfoot amusing himself with a human skeleton. But the queer creature with flowing beard and flowing robes got away from us. Returning to the caretaker's cottage, we found my dad upset and Phyllis Carroll with a stab wound in her back just under the shoulder blade. Jimmy Parker had been locked in the room with the girl at the time, but he denied the deed. Then Phyllis regained consciousness and sobbed out, Oh, Jimmy, why did you stab me? That was at two in the afternoon. Now at eight in the evening, Dr. Tuner is with his patient. Dr. Tuner, am I going to die? <laughs> I reckon you aren't even going to be very sick, Miss Carroll. Just lost your mind of blood, and the wound won't even leave a scar. Feel much better after a little sleep, don't you? Oh, I've been asleep. Well, sure you have. Here, let me fix that pillow. Uh, Lie on your left side just a little. That'll ease that sick shoulder of yours. Look mighty pretty in that outfit, Miss Carroll, with the firelight playing on you. Oh, I must look terrible. I've been crying so much, but... <laughs> Not a bit of I... it. You look like a young girl should look. Oh, Dr. Tuner, what would make Jimmy do a thing like that? Oh, no, no, you'd better let Captain Friday figure that out. That's his business. By the way, he wants to bring Parker in here as soon as you feel like it. Oh, no, please. I, I can't face Jimmy after... After well, he... I reckon that'll be necessary, Miss Carroll. Do I have to see him? Can't be helped, I'm afraid. Well, all right, then. Good. We'll have him in now and get it over with. Captain Friday and his father have Parker in his room, giving him a going over. I'll, I'll just call him. Hi there, Captain. That's you, Doctor? Miss Carroll's ready to see you next door. Good. Come on out, fella. Come on, Mayor. I'd rather not see Phyllis tonight. You know, what you want hasn't got anything to do with it. Go on in there and sit down. Okay. Have it your way, then. No. I want you facing the girl. Sit in that straight chair. Yeah, if I'd have known he's going to be all this rumpus, I'd have said take him to the city and lock him up from the first. Never mind, Mayor. We'll get things straightened out for you in the city of the dead. I know the reason why. 
Aren't you ashamed of yourself, Parker? No, I'm not. I suppose you only regret that you didn't kill Miss Carroll outright, huh? Oh, Jimmy. You look here. I didn't stab Phyllis. How many times do I have to tell you? Miss Carroll says you did. Well, I didn't. You said he did, didn't you, Miss Carroll? Yes. You see, Parker? I'd like to hear her tell how I did it. I haven't any objection to that. Miss Carroll, do you mind? Oh, how could you, Jimmy? And all the time I thought it was you and me against everyone. Phyllis, how can you even think... Never mind, Parker. Tell your story, Miss Carroll. Well, we were talking... Tell us what you were talking about. I I wanted to tell you everything we know about all this. I, I wanted to take a chance that you would help us out of a bad situation. Jimmy said no. He said that we... Go on. He said the circumstantial evidence was too strong against us. That we might... You might well, what? We might be found guilty of murder by our own words. Oh, I see. And you wanted to take a chance and tell anyway. Yes. I thought if we told everything now, we'd have a better chance than if we waited for you to find out for yourself. Good deduction, Miss Carroll. Well, then what happened? Well, we talked and talked, and, and then I got angry. I turned my back and walked toward the door. Then, Miss Carroll? And then Jimmy stabbed me, and I fainted. No. No, Phyllis. No, I didn't. But it must have been you, Jimmy. We were locked in the room alone. It had Just to a be... minute. Miss Carroll, is that your only reason for believing Parker stabbed you? Why, yes. Did you see a knife in the room previous to the attack? No. Did you see Parker walk toward you or know that he was approaching you before the blow was struck? No. Did he say anything just before you fainted? Why, no. Of course not. Then all you know is that you were stabbed while locked in the room with Parker, and for that reason you supposed it was he that had done it. Well, but how could it have been anyone else? Didn't you ever hear of a knife thrower, Miss Carroll? You mean... You mean somebody threw a knife at me from the window? Why not? It wouldn't have been the first knife tossed through a window. <gasps> well, then it wasn't, Jimmy. Then you didn't. Oh, Jimmy, I'm so ashamed. Phil, I didn't do it. Honestly, I didn't. Why, of course not. I know you didn't. Oh, Jimmy, can you ever forgive me? Of course, Phil. It's all right. Here, take my handkerchief. Oh, I've been such a fool. Forget it. But I've been so miserable. Oh, Jimmy, I, I felt so bad I could die. It made me sick, Phil, when I found out you thought I'd done it. I, I just couldn't believe it. Oh, I didn't want to think it, Jimmy, but, but, well, I didn't see any other way out. All right now, Parker, come on back to your chair. Your hands aren't clean in this business yet. Oh, of course he's innocent. It's silly even to think of it anymore. Silly, huh? Well, then listen to what the mayor has to say on the subject. Go ahead, Dad. Don't want to be dragged on, on murder trials. Come on, Dad. Now, don't get temperamental. Don't sass me, young fella. I don't care if you are a detective. Use my son first. Look, Mayor, do you want this business cleaned up or don't you? Well, I was coming up on the porch after returning from Lammy Fink's cabin where I left you folks. Yes? Heard a scream. Girl's voice? Naturally. Seeing how does Miss Carroll. All right, then what? Well, I ran into the house and unlocked the door where them two youngsters been locked up. Yes? And there was this fella Parker, standing over the girl with both his hands bloody, and he was holding a knife. Well, what of it? Naturally, my hands would be bloody from pulling the knife out of Phyllis's shoulder, wouldn't they? That sounds pretty thin. Why wasn't you doing something for the girl instead of just standing over her with the knife in your hand? Well, I was... I was so stunned by what had happened, I... I didn't know what I was doing. Looks mighty funny to me. Well, I can tell you some other things that look mighty funny, too. Why did you lock Phyllis and me up the first night? Where were you last night when old Clawfoot was roaming around? Why did Dr. Tuna here say you didn't have a telephone the first night we came? There's plenty for you fellas to explain, too, if you ask me. Captain, take that kid out of here. 
Take him out. Now, Dad. Take him away, I say. Lock him up down at the city. Do anything you got a mind to, but get him out of my house. You all fired presumption of kids in this day and age. Now, 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 look here, Mary. You haven't any call to be belligerent. You've been picking on him all evening. Picking on him? Picking on him? He's guilty, ain't he? I'm not so certain myself, Mayor. Well, I am. After all, Mayor, you haven't explained to us where you were while the Phantom was murdering that fellow at the back of the house last night. I don't reckon I'm beholden to any of you. I'm mayor of the city of the dead, and if I take it on myself to go down into the city among my citizens, it ain't anybody's business but my own. Of course not, Dad. Now, let's just forget all this quarreling and see if we can't untangle some of these threads. I'm agreeable, Captain. In the two days I've been here, one thing stands out. There's some force at work in the city of the dead. What do you mean, force? Some group or groups of people acting in their own interests down among the graves. And I'd just like to lay my hands on them. Yeah, yeah. Well... There are three possible places from which this force may originate. Three? Yes, Dr. Tuner, three. First, there's this clawfoot phantom of ours. You know he's a murderer. Didn't we see him kill the fellow at my window? He killed him, all right. What we don't know, however, is whether or not he's the force working against us. If he is against us, why did he attack the man who was trying to break in and disturb us? By Jasper, Captain, you mean clawfoot's working with us and again the enemy? Uh, I don't know. Now then... The second source of this dangerous force may originate outside the City of the Dead. Yes, that's it. That's it, it's an outside force that wants something here in the City of the Dead and is willing to murder every one of us to get it. How do you know that, Parker? Why, I'm pretty sure of it. Why? Well, I don't know, I I just think so. No, never mind now, that'll keep. Let's get back to the original question, the source of our danger. I've named two, Clawfoot and an outside gang. I suppose I don't have to tell you the third source from which this force may be emanating. Well, I reckon you'd better. I don't follow you, Captain. Yes, go on, son. Quit your intimating and come out straight. I see you get what I mean anyway, Dad. All right, here it is. There's a fine chance that this malignant force we're fighting originates right in this little group. You mean someone here's a murderer? It's quite possible. Horse feathers. Why do you say that, Parker? Well, if you're trying to put the blame for all this business on Phyllis and me, you're out of luck, that's all. Why do you think I was accusing you? There are others in the room. Well, you wouldn't be likely to accuse your own father of the murder. No? And you've known Dr. Tuner all your life. Supposing I have. And that leaves only Phyllis and me. You can easily remove yourselves from the suspected group. How? Talk. How do you know it wouldn't put us in deeper than ever? Oh, Jimmy, no, it won't. Captain Friday will understand. We ought to tell. Honestly, we should. I don't think so. Don't be stubborn, Jimmy. Please let me tell. I don't like it. Please, Jimmy. Please. Can't keep a thing, can you? Jimmy, you know better than that. You know I'll never say a word until you give me permission. But it's the same as... Oh, go ahead and tell it. After all, it's your story. Jimmy, don't be angry. I've thought and thought about it, and and any way I look at it, we'd be better off than we are now. You know what would happen to us if they found us guilty. But they couldn't do that. I know they could. How do you know what a jury would do? Very well, Jimmy, if that's how you feel. Oh, go ahead and tell the whole thing. Maybe I'm all wet. Doesn't make much difference anyway. They're bound to find out if they keep looking. That's right, Miss Carroll. We're bound to find out. Oh, I don't know what to say now. Supposing I get us into a, into a lot of trouble. Well, go ahead, Phil. Anyway, we're in up to our neck as it is. Well... Please, could I have a glass of water first? Yeah, of course you can. Shoulder hurting you? Not too much. Just a numb ache. Yeah, here. Here's a glass. Thank you. Now, we're ready when you are, Miss Carroll. Well, I, 
I guess I should tell you first that I've known Jimmy Parker since I was six years old. He lived right across the street from me for ten years. Should know each other pretty well. Oh, yes. We went to grammar school together and then to high school. In his senior year, his folks moved back east and Jimmy went with them. I didn't see him for a year then until he came back out here to attend the University of California. That explains how he happens to be living in a hotel. Yes. Well, now that you know about Jimmy and me, I, I guess I'd better go still further back. To my grandfather. My mother's folks. His name was Dr. Theodore Beverly. And he was... What? What did you say? What? Why, I said my grandfather was Dr. Theodore Beverly. Well, I swan, you hear that, Mayor? You mean Ted Beverly? Beverly that used to live on Van Ness Avenue before the San Francisco fire in 1906? Oh, yes. Yes. Do you know him, Mayor Friday? What are you doing down here in the city of the dead? Why, I... I said, what are you doing down here? Captain, Captain, these young'uns are up to no good. No good, do you hear me? Pack of thieves and cutthroats, that's what they are. If you'd just hold your horses, Mayor, you'd hear the reason why Phyllis and Jimmy are down here. Or would you? Are they, after all, the thieves and cutthroats the old caretaker wants us to believe? Personally, I have my doubts, but we'll know better in just a minute. Hold on, Dad. Give Miss Carol a chance. I don't like it. I don't want her down here. I don't want her nor nobody else. Never mind that, Mayor. Now, go ahead, Miss Carol. Well, before the 1906 fire and earthquake, my grandfather was a very wealthy man. He had a beautiful home on Van Ness Avenue with lawns and shrubbery and servants and, oh, just everything, I guess. You're right there, Miss Carol. I've seen your grandfather's place, and it did have everything. All this part is just hearsay to me, you know. It was all over before I was born. Well, anyway, I learned just lately that Grandfather Beverly had a yen for collecting black pearls. Yeah, listen to that, Doc. You hear what she says? Black pearls. Yeah, I reckon I heard all right, Mary. Yes, black pearls. Before the fire, he had one of the finest collections in the world. It was worth about a half a million dollars. It's a lot of money, Miss Carroll. It wasn't for my grandfather, Captain Friday. He was very wealthy. Anyway, the fire came and destroyed his business and... Wiped out his home and left him just a little bit out of his mind. He never quite recovered from the shock. What happened to him? Oh, he lived for a long time after that. I remember him when I was a very small child. He, he was austere and gruff, and he walked with a kind of stoop. He always acted as though he, he had something awfully important on his mind. Yep, yep, I remember that characteristic. Used to have the habit of staring right through folks. Give a person a creep. Yes, well, what finally became of him? He was drowned. At least he disappeared, and about a week later, a body was taken from the waterfront, and the police identified it as my grandfather. But Mother was never sure. Wasn't sure, huh? No. She kept looking for him for two years. It was no use. The body was finally buried out here in the city of the dead, and things settled down to normal again. Your grandfather left you and your mother quite wealthy, I take it. Oh, no. Hardly anything. Only a little insurance. Well, what became of his business, all his money? I don't know very much about it. I was too little to understand while he was alive, and, and everyone's awfully vague about it now, but, but everything seemed to melt away without him to handle it. Well, that might easily happen to a man's business, Miss Carroll, but it couldn't happen to anything as substantial as a half a million dollars worth of pearls. What became of them? We never knew. 
Until quite recently. Then you know now? Well, we... I... Well, answer, answer. What's the matter with your tongue, young woman? Look here, you don't have to talk to her like that. Mind your own business, Parker. Say, what's the matter with you anyway, Mayor? You act like you were sitting on a keg of dynamite. I reckon the mayor's just a mite interested in Miss Carroll's story, that's all. Got a mighty funny way of showing it. Now then, if everyone has had his say, we'll go on. Miss Carroll, you do know where the black pearls are now. Well, well, I know what became of them. Who told you? Why, why, no one told me. Then how did you find out? Is that the reason you're down here in the City of the Dead? Yes, Miss Carroll, how did you find out about the black pearls at this late date? I had a birthday the 6th of last month. It was my 20th. Yes? On my birthday, I received a little package from Cartwright, Hobson and Cartwright. The lawyers in the city, you know. And in the package was a letter from the firm saying that they were delivering a sealed package given them on the date of my birth by my grandfather. Yes? Were the pearls in the package, Miss Carroll? Why, no, Mayor Friday. It was much too small for that. It was just a big letter of instructions. Instructions for what? Telling where the black pearls actually were. Oh, I see. Oh, I was awfully excited. I called Jimmy at his hotel over in Berkeley and had him come over right away. Just how many persons did you let in on your secret? I didn't tell anyone but Jimmy. What about your mother? No, not even her. I wanted to keep it from her until I could be sure it was true. So Parker here was the only one you confided in? Yes. Well, what did your grandfather's letter say? It said that this letter was written to protect my future in case of his... my grandfather's death before I reached the age of 20. It said that my mother was his favorite relative and that he'd always intended that the collection of black pearls should go to her first child. That's you? Yes. I was the only child born to my mother. How many children were there in your grandfather's family? Three. Two boys and my mother. Are they living? Well, Uncle Robert may be alive. He disappeared after grandfather's death, and we haven't heard from him since. Uncle Franklin and his wife are both dead. Did they leave any children? Yes. One son. What's his name? Bert Arnold. Where is he now? Why, I... Dead. What's that? I said he was dead. Murdered. It was his body you found strangled in old Morton's grave. Gosh, you all hemlock, Mayor. And I can guess who did it. I'll do the talking, Dad. You mean the murdered man was this girl's cousin? The only known living relative that might dispute her ownership of the Black Pearls? That's what I said. No wonder you didn't want to tell. The three of you down here in the City of the Dead alone at night... One of the three found strangled in an old grave, another of you with fresh blisters on your hands. And the motive, a half a million dollars worth of black pearls. You see, Phyllis, it's just as I said. Try to make a detective see light with all that evidence against us. Oh, but Captain Friday, we didn't do it. We didn't. What could your cousin have wanted in the City of the Dead? What? Well, I suppose he came for the same reason we did. And what was that? To find the black pearls. In the City of the Dead? Yes. Where? Phil, don't tell him. That isn't necessary. I'll let that go for now. Uh, but look here, son. I think you ought to make them tell where those pearls are hidden. I thought so. I'll bet you've known about them all along. That's why you're so anxious to keep everyone out of the City of the Dead. So you could hunt for them by yourselves, you and the doc. No, no, don't you go bringing me into your ruckus. I'm sitting on the sidelines. Captain, if you don't make that young and stop accusing me of things, I'm going to lambaste him. Leave the mayor alone, Parker. Yeah, he started. Never it. mind. Now, Miss Carroll... Did you bring Bert Arnold down here with you the night he was murdered? Well, I, I don't know what night he was murdered. Didn't catch you, did you, mister? No. Well, I'll put it this way. Did you bring him down to the City of the Dead with you the night Parker's car was stolen? No. Did you know he was down here or that he was coming down? No. 
Honestly, we didn't. Now then, you say the black pearls are buried here in the city of the dead. Yes. Oh, no. That was a rotten thing to do. Let the pearls alone. They belong to Miss Carroll. Well, well. So the pearls are buried in one of the graves in the city of the dead. She didn't say that. She didn't need to. No wonder the city of the dead has come alive by night. I wonder how many people in the world know about this. Oh, probably a very few, Captain. The whole city of the dead had been dug up and redug by now. Half a million dollars ain't to be sneezed at. Those pearls belong to Miss Carroll no matter who finds them. Reckon they belong to the one who has them. Well, Mayor Friday, if you aren't the lowest old codger... Quiet, Parker. Miss Carroll, that letter of instructions from the law firm, where is it? What? We burned it. That's a lie, Parker. Hmm. Prove it. You'll be glad enough to bring it out when you go before a jury for murder. You don't think I killed Bert Arnold. You know you don't. And what's more, you don't think I stabbed Phyllis. You'd be surprised what I think. Do you know of anyone else who might have reason to stab her? There's somebody else mighty anxious not to have her tell what she knows about those pearls. Who? If I knew, there wouldn't be any mystery. By the way, Mayor Friday couldn't throw a knife, could he? He had the opportunity. Why, you young whippersnapper, I... Hold it, Dad. That's enough out of you, Parker. Go on into your room. But what about Phyllis? Never mind about her. You get into your room before you get yourself in more trouble. Afraid to look into your own father's actions too closely? Is that it, Captain? Get into your room, Parker, now! Okay, okay, never mind the strong-arm stuff. Dad, I want to talk to you and Doc Tuner out in the kitchen. Miss Carroll, you'll be all right here for a few minutes. Oh, yes, I... I'll be all right, I guess. Well, if you feel uneasy or need anything, you just sing out. Come on, Dad, in the kitchen. Yeah? What for? What's this all about? I think you know. Close the door, Doc. You and Doc Tuner have got to face it. Let's get it over with. You'd think I was your prisoner instead of your father. Now then, Dad, what's it all about? Huh? What's what all about? Come on, come on. Why all this mystery with me? Don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do. You know plenty. And if it's on the level, why can't you trust me? Ain't nothing to trust you with. You and Dr. Tuna here have known about those black pearls all along. I knew Doc was making a mistake when he confided in you. Oh, you did, did you? Don't you suppose I know why you haven't been down in the city of the dead to look for graves that might have been tampered with? I wouldn't stick my nose in where it ain't wanted if I was you, son. You've been opening the graves yourself, you and Doc. Fine pair you are. You, with your talk about being mayor of the city of the dead and aiming to see that none of your sleeping citizens shall be disturbed. No, no, Captain. And you, Doc, with your pretty talk about coming down here to visit your old friends and patients. And all the time you've been digging into grave after grave for those black pearls. Aren't you ashamed of yourselves? You ain't got no right to talk to your father like this, Captain. I suppose you both know you could be sent up for the rest of your natural lives for this. I don't reckon you'd do a thing like that, Captain Friday. I ought to. Captain, you're hurting your father mighty deep talking that way. Well, what's he doing it for? Good heavens, man. He's got a trust here. He was put here to see that these sacred mounds of earth were not violated. And what has he done? Broken faith. Opened the graves himself. I reckon you see now, Doc Tuner, why I didn't want to bring nobody else into the city of the dead. Captain, don't you reckon you better go a little easier on the mayor? Why should I? Well, after all, he's your father. Of course, I know you didn't have any part in the things young Parker keeps hinting at. <laughs> Thanks. Grave robbing is bad enough in itself without adding murder to it. I reckon, son, if that's all you got to say, I'll be turning in. Now, listen here, Dad. There's something more behind all this. You aren't disturbing the dead just for those pearls. There is something else, isn't there? Reckon you had us lined up about right at the beginning, son. Doc and me are just a pair of skunks. 
Look here, Doc. I reckon your dad is right, Captain. Ain't no more use to discuss those. That's Miss Carroll. Something's happened. Come on, you two. No, no, no. Miss Carroll, what is it? What's the matter? Oh, look. Look there by the door. Well, I'll be a son of a gun. Look, Doc, a visitor. A skeleton. <laughs> Captain, what's that thing doing here? Where'd it come from, Miss Carroll? Oh, can't get away. Can't get away. Now, 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 Miss Carroll. I don't reckon a skeleton can hurt you much. Supposing you tell us how it got there so we can do something about it. Well, the door just suddenly opened and the skeleton walked in and collapsed on the floor. And then the door was pulled closed. Hmm. Dang, I have a skeleton to do that, if you ask me. Hey, Doc, come here and look at this. What in the name of Sam Hill are you doing to it, Captain? Now look, the bones are joined together with pieces of wire. Now, what sort of monkey business is this? Here, look, a message tied about its neck. Message? What does it say? It says... I have come to you out of the grave marked Theodore Beverly, but I do not belong in his grave. I am not his skeleton. Theodore Beverly? Why, that's Miss Carroll's grandfather. My grandfather. Grab her, Doc. She's fainted. Now the very skeletons in the city of the dead are coming up out of their graves to identify themselves. But what does the message mean? I am out of the grave marked Theodore Beverly, but I am not his skeleton. And what has all this to do with the phantom church bell and old clawfoot? Many of these things will be revealed to you next week when you hear episode six of Carlton E. Morse's City of the Dead entitled The Ghoul in the Grave. That was Elliot Lewis as Captain Bart Friday on Adventures by Morse with Chapter 5 of City of the Dead, The Skeleton Walks In, from February the 5th, 1944. I'll have Chapter 6 of this ten-part adventure next week at this same time. In a moment, I'll tell you what's coming up on the next Mystery Theatre. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! <laughs> Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, gown. Oh, let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Be sure to join me next time on Mystery Theater when Vincent Price hosts the Sears Radio Theater and then it's Chapter 5 of City of the Dead on Adventures by Morse. This is your host, Christopher Lee, saying thanks for tuning in.
You've been listening to Mystery Theater with your host, Christopher Lee. The producers of Mystery Theater wish to thank this station and Radio Spirits for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is written by Dennis Etchison, Jim McCants speaking.